As I write this, he is passed out on my spare bed. He has been binging on heroin and crack every other day for the past few weeks. He's worried he might lose his job, so he wants to break this pattern. He asked yesterday if he could stay here for a little while to get through at least that first 48 hours without relapsing. After that, he says, it gets easier. Maybe it will. I look at him just now, lying there, his face pallid again. And as I stroked his hair, I think I understood something for the first time. The opposite of addiction isn't sobriety. It's connection. It's all I can offer. It's all that will help him in the end. If you are alone, you cannot escape addiction. If you are loved, you have a chance. For 100 years, we have been singing war songs about addicts. All along, we should have been singing love songs to them. This is Charlotte Warren. I am here with my friend Zoe Brokus, and we are doing a podcast about ending the drug war in Maine. Hi, Zoe. Hi, Charlotte. Do you want me to go first and introduce myself? Sure. So my name is Charlotte Warren, and I'm a social worker and an educator and a termed out legislator. For the past eight years, I've served on the Criminal Justice and Public Safety Committee in the Maine Legislature, but that's really my side gig. My main work is to be a Pied Piper to end the drug war in Maine. And that's that's what I'm here doing with my friend Zoe. Yeah, thanks. And I'm Zoe Brokus. I'm the executive director of the Church of Safe Injection. I am a mom who uses drugs and I live in Portland with my family. Uh, and um, I've been doing this work for almost 15 years now, uh, working in harm reduction, syringe service programs, naloxone distribution, um, and doing community educating, um, and more recently advocacy work with the Maine Recovery Advocacy Project, uh, and then, you know, some side gigs with Maine Association of Recovery Residences and um, ACLU and a couple other groups. So it's um, it's always great to get an opportunity to to kind of sit down and and talk about the things that we're so passionate about. Exactly, you, you're you sh- you're doing all the things, all the amazing <laughs> things, and it's so true. I feel so blessed to do work that I love mm-hmm. and that I feel is so important and drives my soul, right? So let's return to the quote. The quote is from Johan Hari's book, Chasing the Scream. If you haven't had a chance to, uh, if anybody listening hasn't had a chance to read it, Chasing the Scream, the first and last days of the war on drugs, that quote, Mm. right, Zoe, that quote. Right. We've been trying and told that for our family members and our friends, we should be doing the tough love. Right. The, you know, don't enable them. The, you know, all of that. When in fact, we should have been singing love songs to them. 
Yeah, I think that quote, I mean, I, I remember when the book first came out and that concept of the opposite of sobriety is connection. I mean, it blew people's minds and it blew people's minds because, I mean, for many of us, I think it was like, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have been we have been doing this wrong. And I wish as a culture we were better about saying that and kind of saying like, okay, hold on, let's like redo this, you know, whether it's climate stuff or, you know, substance use related, you know, it's just like, no, this is not working. And we need to stop pushing people away and forcing them to beg and sit in a cold jail cell because that's what is going to somehow make them hit their rock bottom and 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 that's what's going to change things and i think that that narrative works sometimes and and not because not because it's what we should be doing but because there are you know we've made these mistakes along the way of kind of lifting lifting individuals up and and making them kind of the poster children and and many of them had an experience like this who who will say prison saved my life you know going to jail was the best thing that ever happened to me but when we actually explore that a little bit further and really kind of weave through what that experience was it wasn't sitting in prison it was connecting with other people with similar experiences, having an opportunity for the first time in their life to see a social worker or regulate their medication for a period of time when it would actually make an impact. And how unfortunate it is that that we're continuing to kind of promote uh, big we, not little we, uh, promote this idea that like people need to go to prison so that they can access these services because that's what we know will improve their lives because the resources outside are unavailable, inaccessible, and and people can't get them when they when they need them. And, and so that, I think, you know, that quote is, I mean, it's so touching. It's so like gut wrenching uh, for anyone who has ever had an experience loving somebody who's experiencing chaotic substance use, you know, that is the hard part is like, how do you, what is the balance? How do I care for them? You know, cause I can't enable them. And I think for those of us who do harm reduction work, we really look at that word enable much differently. Mm. Um, you know, it's not enabling somebody, it's, it's offering, it's providing, it's loving. Um, you know, you're not enabling somebody to use drugs by letting them sleep in a warm bed uh, and telling them every day that you love them, you know? And in fact, I think we're, we're realizing that that's, that's what the answer is. I love it. And so what I hear you saying Zoe, especially the way that you described, yeah, there are some folks who, you know, look back at their time of incarceration. And what you're saying is for the first time, we gave them these services that they needed. What if we figured out a way, right, to give folks, everybody, what humans actually need mm -hmm. outside of this system that we have spent a lot of time and money building up? which we don't actually need, right? Yeah. That if we could provide 
wrap around services to people when they start with the road of pain, when they first are needing that assistance, right? Instead of when everything is in shambles, right? right? And then, and what you and I both know is that being incarcerated, even if it's just for three days, right? Sometimes, I mean, you know, I do a lot of work watching in, in courts, you know, and sometimes people think, you know, oh, well, that's not, you know, it's a light sentence. Not being at your work, not being able to show up at your work, not being able to take care of your children, these have huge consequences that make it much, much, much more difficult to get to that place, right? And I loved what you said about the first time talking to a social worker, you know, but also the the things that we all need being provided in a way that I can just sit and reflect, mm -hmm. what do I like about what's going on in my life? What would I like to change? And when I am focused on where am I gonna sleep? Right. What am I gonna eat? Where am I gonna, you know, all of the needs, right? That have to come first. I don't have any of that time or that connection. And I just wanna say that the other piece that is absolutely opposite of what we want is the shame and the stigma that we put on folks who are already struggling. Shame is not an emotion that motivates. Right. Shame is not an emotion that motivates, right? That is not what we should be using. And one of the major reasons I am in this work is I look back at my oldest friend, Michael Jordan was his name. We went to high school together. We did all of the normal things that all um, teenagers do. It's just we were without parents. You know, I didn't live um, in a home with parents. So I could do anything I wanted and so could he. The difference is that he got caught up in the criminal justice system. Mm -hmm. And um, there, by the grace of God, go I, I didn't. Mm -hmm. um, my friend, Michael Jordan, isn't here anymore. And he died alone on his birthday mm -hmm. um, of an accidental overdose. And for me, when I look at our pathways, he never escaped the shame and stigma that made him other, separate than society, not a celebrated person. Right. Shame has so many layers. And I see so many people who have had traumatic events occur, various points of their life. And, and so when they feel ashamed, when we feel ashamed, when all of us there's natural reactions that that happen. You know, those trauma responses are sometimes to lie, to get angry, to get violent, to steal stuff. You know, so it's like there's these broader consequences that also occur that I think, you know, as we start to really explore what what do we want, what is going to 
help our community of people um, who are experiencing overdoses, who are unhoused, who are not receiving the services that they need. We need to look really broadly at that because I, I look at, you know, all we have as an example is Oregon and, um, and, and Oregon has done some great things. And I saw there's just some, some data that came out that's showing, yep, they're doing great things. And I still don't like that. There's this like offering of like humanity, if you're willing to do this other thing. I mean, that is so harmful. We cannot, you cannot require somebody to do something. You can't force them to do something and think that the outcome is going to be good. Um, And so I think we need to really look at that as we start to talk about what ending the drug war in Maine looks like, what decriminalization looks like. Um, We have to look at these other pieces. We have to look at the rate in which Black men are incarcerated versus white people and, you know, the rate of children being taken away, you know, like all, we can't just look at one little piece of this and say, okay, anyone with possession of less than three grams of whatever, you know, you get to access a health assessment and go to treatment. You know, it's like, it needs to, right. It needs to start way before then. Everybody needs housing period. And that housing needs to look different based on different needs. Um, I think housing is such a huge component of what we are facing in our communities because people do not have a safe place to be. I mean, I can't even imagine, I was talking to a friend last week who who was just getting over COVID, you know, and she was like, I'm so grateful that I could just stay home and stay in bed and I was warm and my husband made me soup, you know, like, can you even imagine dealing with COVID when you're unhoused, let alone dealing with unresolved trauma, mental health issues that doctors are refusing to prescribe you medication that you know will work uh, because they will not prescribe two controlled substances because they just don't, it just doesn't sit right for them. You know, mm-hmm. like there's all of these pieces that that we need to like be willing to reckon with. Um, and I think it will take, you know, it will take all of us. The, the medical community has played a huge role in this, uh, but it's not 2014 anymore. We cannot act like prescription opioids are the problem, <laughs> you know, just like we cannot act like arresting people and putting them in jail will reform them and and fix their their substance use dependency issues. You know, there's just we have to we have to really back up and and look at all of that. You're listening to Justice Radio on WMPG with Charlotte Warren and Zoe Brokus. And that's why, and I love that you brought up decriminalization, right? Because here hey. we are, right? <laughs> Heading back into another legislative session, right? And mm-hmm. and you and I and others are are in conversation about what does this next what does this next go at decriminalization look like? And so just for folks that are listening, for folks who maybe won't don't know, we did last session in the legislature have a bill to decriminalize. Certainly, I agree with Zoe that we've got to do some work on changing that up, but staying above 
those details. We were ultimately not successful in the very end of getting it through. We got a historic vote in the House, the main House of Representatives. Um, I think that's enough history from me. So here we are getting ready to go into the next stage. And I think that that quote that we started off together today, connection in love, I think that those need to be the two words that we come back to every time as we are part of these conversations of leading, what does the bill look like? What is the messaging like? What are the focus groups like? What are the conversations like, right? That we need to keep coming back to what we know this is about. And I think how we won expanding Good Samaritan, right? How we won that when you call, if somebody is experiencing an overdose, when you call, we do not want people, people are not going to be arrested. We want help, right? Now here's, let me just say right off the bat, I don't want cops showing up. No, never. Right? I don't want cops showing up. When someone is experiencing a medical emergency, I want rescue there. I want social workers there, right? When we're talking about behavioral health, that is also a piece of this puzzle. It's one of the things that I think needs to be a companion piece of um, our work to decriminalize drugs is the fact that right now in Maine, when you call for help, we have one place we call for help. And when you call for help, there are only three options of who responds, the police, fire, and rescue. And unfortunately, the police also come for the other two. We need the fourth option. Mm -hmm. We need social workers, crisis workers, whatever you want to call the people who are actually going to do the work of love and connection, right? The people yeah. who are going to sit down on the sidewalk with right. the person who's in crisis, who doesn't need a bed, right. doesn't need a hospital bed, doesn't need a jail bed, doesn't need a prison bed. They need a chair. Mm -hmm. They need love and connection for what's happening right then. And I got to tell you, love and connection are a lot cheaper yeah. than incarceration, right? Tell me what you think about that. Well, you know, and I, I've been thinking about the advocacy work that we have been doing and and, you know, I think all the way back to naloxone, right? And like naloxone, it took years to get to where we are. And now it's like, oh, you want naloxone and you want, you know, it's like they're just giving it out to everyone, which is fine and which is great. And and overdose fatality numbers continue to climb. So we cannot just continue to hand out naloxone and think that that's going to do the trick. And I also look at the way that just the way advocacy works in general, and I want to do it differently. I want to sit down with those legislators who have continued to oppose this, this idea, this solution, and really try to understand what, what about the research and the data and the numbers what 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 don't you believe like i want to make this not radical you know like we're still pretty regularly like i rolled into being like uh you know the radical like drug people like we need to find a way to get away from that this isn't radical like this is actually the solution and so 
if the question is how do we reduce overdose fatalities in Maine? Well, well, we actually know how to do that. There's there's proven ways that will actually work almost immediately that are absolutely more cost effective, build community resilience, all the things, employment, all those things. So I want to understand what about that doesn't work for the folks who are so adamant about they need to be punished, they need, you know, they, you know, this is a consequence, they made a choice, all that stuff. How do we reframe the advocacy? I think that it's going to be conversations one-on-one with love and connection, right? Yeah, yeah. I think we have to down. model it. I think we yeah. really have to model it. Yeah, I do too. I do too. I think sitting down one-on-one with, for one, right off the bat, Senate President Troy Jackson Yeah, yeah. isn't with us, still yeah. isn't with us, you know? We need to invite him with love and connection Mm -hmm. and to understand from the same place of where, you know, I'm coming from a place because of my experience with my pal, Mike Jordan, right? Where is Senator A, B, and C coming from, right? right? My co-chair on the Criminal Justice Committee, right? Co-chaired with me for four years. Mm-hmm. You know, at the end of her service, literally said in a work session, I don't understand anything about drug use. Yeah. How can how is that OK? Yeah. How is that, you know, how is that acceptable? What and 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 for me, what did I do wrong? Right. What did I where could I have done better that she could have come to a place where she felt that it was important enough to learn about how are we in a place where we can be losing two plus Mainers a day to overdose, but the people that are running policy don't feel that it's important enough to learn about it. Maybe the key is more love and connection when reaching out to those folks to say, I really want to understand where you're coming from and how we can have a heart-to-heart conversation about doing the right thing around this issue. Absolutely. I really feel like that, that there is something there. And I think it's really hard because we are, we do the work that we love and we love the work because there because of so many reasons right but like we all nobody just woke up one day and decided to get into harm reduction just for the fun of it i really i really think that there is something you know whether it's a personal experience or um a situation that has occurred like and so we need to recognize that we oftentimes bring that grief which gets translated into anger or frustration into those conversations sometimes i i mean i've seen it how many times have we watched testimony that's like gut wrenching and someone's telling their story and you know and they're just like the legislators are just they don't get it they're not it's not because we need to find a way to to touch them and really understand what it is that they don't understand, don't 
don't see the same way. I mean, I, I, and there's also just like those people, you know, I know there's also people who are just like, no, I don't know why, but no. And it's morally wrong. And the answer is no, because I'm a cop or whatever, you know, like there are people that, that we won't shift, but I do believe there is such power in sitting with someone and, and try and trying to understand like, what do you think we should do? We're losing people every day. Overdose numbers are on the rise. What do you think the answer is? And then when they give some stupid answer that we don't agree with, that's when it's really important to not say, well, did you know that, you know, like you have to sit through the whole thing and it's really hard. And I, I, I brought this up at the end um, when we like debriefed last session with MIRAP, because I do think there's something there. If we can, if we can train our advocates, if we can support our advocates in a way to have these conversations, I actually think because what we're asking for is the same thing, right? Like we're asking to treat people with love and compassion and um, not force people into doing things. So we can't do that to them. <laughs> you know, like it's it's really hard and I'm not mm-hmm. saying it will be easy, but we have the solutions and we have, we kind of have a, a path of how we want to do it. I think we need to come, uh, we need to make sure we're all in the same place there um, with the advocates. And I think that's where it gets hard. Uh, you know, like I started talking about naloxone, but like we made a lot of, compromises with naloxone. It's like, okay, anything just to get the bill moving in the right direction. So like the first year it was, you know, if somebody has a history of opioid use, uh, you know, an immediate family member can have naloxone. And then it was like a list of exactly who immediate family members was. And then the next year we pushed a little bit further, but we don't have that kind of time. I mean, we didn't then certainly, but, um, we really don't have like years to make incremental change. I'll take it. it you know, I, th- I think we we have continued to make change and, and I don't want to be like super negative, but I do think this session, you know, I think we need to find a place that we all feel comfortable, but I think it's time to like open it all the way up and, yeah. and, and have a airtight plan, you know, where there's no room for like, oh, well, you, you know, there's not enough treatment programs. So haha, we don't have to do this. It's like, no, this isn't just about getting people into treatment. It cannot be, that can't be the alternative to criminalizing drug use. It can't be, you have to go to treatment because many people, as we know, don't need treatment, don't want can't go to treatment because they work and have children and families or take care of parents or whatever, you know, it's like Mm -hmm. treatment is for many people, a privilege. But if, I I mean, if I had to, if I had to, or if I wanted to take 30 days to go to a residential treatment program, I mean, that would like upset my entire life, you know? So I, I think, I think we have to, we have to develop a plan and, and really use it as an opportunity. Like the plan is an educational opportunity as well. Bingo. Right. Exactly. And I wonder if starting the, you know, as you were talking about, you know, how do you manifest this plan? You know, 
I wonder if part of it is 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 stopping right now and saying to those lawmakers, hey, we think maybe we've been doing this wrong, right? Uh, showing our humility. We think maybe we've been expecting you to treat drug users in a way that we haven't treated you. And so we we're we want to restart with you. Mm-hmm. We want to restart with you. We've been trying to, I know I have, I'll, I'll take responsibility. Charlotte May Warren has definitely been hitting people over the head with, look what's going on. Let me, let me invite you um, into giving me some grace and letting me do a restart with you. It sounds like we have a great uh, plan for how we're going to do some of this work. And it also sounds like we have a good start for our next podcast that uh, that we're going to talk about, which is, you know, more in depth of how do you advocate around ending the drug war in Maine? Next week, join Leo Hilton and Catherine Besteman as they continue to explore Are Prisons the Answer? 